0: The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Amen. Thank you. Be seated. I have a question for you. Have you been reading the Bible? All right. Man, that's growing. By the end of this book, we're going to be screaming it. Well, I want to encourage you to read your Bible as we see in Joshua how important the Word of God is and our life being defined by following the instructions of the Lord. And so today we come to chapter 5, and as we come to chapter 5, we find Israel in an interesting place that I think we can all relate with. Uh, If you know, if you've been following with us through the story, Joshua has been, God has raised up Joshua to replace Moses, and he's been leading Israel to cross the Jordan River. If I say Red River, you know I mean Jordan River. It happens half the time I say it. Uh, God did not lead them across the Red River miraculously, it was the Jordan but sometimes I don't catch myself. So he led them across the river. And what we saw, that the way God did that was through their obedience. And that's how God works. God gets his people into his plans and promises as they are very carefully following his instructions. God is the one doing all the miraculous work. Many, most of the time it's invisible. God, we can't see him, we can, but we can see the effects That God has. And so our role is to carefully obey the Lord. And he walks us down his path of blessings and promises. And so we see they have crossed the river. And now they are in a place where they are with the past behind them and the future before them. All the varied past that we know they've had is behind them. And now all they look forward to is the future, all the blessings that God has promised them. Many times, we find ourselves in a very similar situation. As you think about getting a fresh new start, as you think about facing the future that God has for you, knowing there will be battles, there will be struggles, but knowing that God has a glorious, promised future for your life. And as you think about facing and walking into that future, what is the greatest obstacle that you have in your mind as you try to do that? Maybe there's some circumstances, you say, maybe it's a loss of a job, or maybe it's a relational, circumstantial issue. But I think many times, the greatest obstacle, the greatest barrier to us walking into the glorious future that God has for us, oftentimes the greatest barrier is our past. Oftentimes the the things that have happened in our past are are haunting us. They make us sick when when they raise their head and Maybe the past was literally this weekend, or maybe it was years ago, a fractured relationship due to some sin. This weekend, as I was praying and thinking about this text and having written the sermon, I usually will spend the rest of the time just prayerfully seeking the Lord on where He wants me to go with it. I ran into an old pastor friend of mine, and, and uh, we hadn't talked in many years, and And tragically, he relayed to me the story of his broken past and how he lost his pastorate, he lost his church because his own words, he said, I, it's my fault, I lost my marriage. And then he began to tell me about a very dark season in his life that after that, that he went and bought a trailer and put it on a piece of land where he saw no one, he lived in isolation and he said, I can't tell you how dark that place was and it was awful. But then he began to tell me about the journey of restoration and and beginning once again to walk with the Lord. He still has many of the consequences as a result, but he knows he has a future and he knows the Lord has a plan for him. Many times... We, as we think about moving forward, we're hindered by our past. We're hindered by past sin, past mistakes. They haunt us. We, we let that identify us. We let the enemy whisper in our ears that you're not good enough for, for God's blessings. You're not good enough for the future that he promised you, that, that he's left you. He's abandoned you. You don't deserve it. And it just keeps us from moving forward in God's great plans for our life. And that's what we see Israel. You wonder, where is all that in this strange text about circumcision and the Passover? I hope that we will be able to see today that what we see is from the larger context of this passage, that this place where Israel is, before they head to Jericho and face their very first battle, God prepares them for the battles into the great promises that God has set before them. Lord, I ask for your help this morning. I know that all of us have a past. All of us have a history that that is tempting to hold us back. It's tempting to let it identify us. It's tempting to let it hinder us from the blessings of, of the future that you have for us. The, the glorious promises that you, that you want us to enjoy, Lord. I pray that through this study of your word this morning, and by the power of your spirit, that your spirit will touch our hearts with the grace of the gospel. That you would give us a new, fresh start this morning. That we would have the courage and the faith to walk into the glorious presence, presence of God as we walk into the future you have for us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So let's look at the battle preparations for Israel in these verses. First, we see repentance and restoration in verses 2 through 12. Israel is going, God is bringing Israel to a place of repentance and restoration. And those are the two sides of the same coin that in repentance and restoration, God prepares them to battle forward into the glorious promises that he has for them. Look at verses 2 through 7. Remember that verse 1 last week said that God melted the hearts of the people in the land as they saw God working miraculously to get them across the the Jordan River. And then in verse 2 we pick up, it says, At that time the Lord said to Joshua, Make for yourself flint knives and circumcise again the sons of Israel the second time. So Joshua made himself flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibbeth Harleth. This is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. I'm glad he tells us. All the people who came out of Egypt were males. All the men of war died in the wilderness along the way after they came out of Egypt. For all the people who came out were circumcised, but all the people who were born in the wilderness along the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the sons of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness, until all the nation, that is the men of war who came out of Egypt, Perished because they did not listen to the voice of the Lord, to whom the Lord had sworn that He would not let them see the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give to us, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, their children, whom He raised up in their place, Joshua circumcised, for they were not circumcised because they had not circumcised them along the way. Verse 8 Now, when they had finished circumcising all the nation, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. then the Lord said to Joshua, and this is the key interpretive verse of this passage, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. What a strange way to prepare for battle. They've crossed the Jordan River. They are right at the edge of Jericho. The first epic battle. And the Lord says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to render all your fighting men hurt them. Bring them to their knees where they are worthless for several days. Not Not a good strategy. He doesn't say, let me go into the weaponry. He doesn't say, let me go into the battle plan. He doesn't have all these great... Plans of how we're going to defeat Jericho. He tells them to circumcise all the men that will be going into war so that they are, they are done for a season. Not what you expect. So what in the world is going on? Well, from understanding the context and the story of the Bible that we've been reading up to this point... You start to see what the Lord is doing here. There is a spiritual preparation going on here. This is a beautiful picture of repentance and restoration for the people of God. And that is what they need to be prepared to battle forward and enjoy the blessings of God. If you go back in Genesis 17, when God promised these people that they could have this land called Canaan, that we often refer to as the promised land, because God promised to Abraham that he and all his descendants over the next generations going forward, that they, the people of Israel, would be given this land. And when, he made, when God made Abram this promise, he changed his name to Abraham, and he said, now a sign of this covenant will be that you will obey me on this, that you will circumcise your boys at the eighth day. And so generation after generation, your obedience to the command of circumcision will mark you out as the people of God, the covenant people that I promised would get this land. And they began faithfully obeying the Lord's commands and they circumcised their males and this went on until the generation of disobedience, if you will. Moses was raised up. Israel, the people of God, were enslaved in Egypt. And God miraculously delivered them out of Egypt. A beautiful picture of salvation. And God delivered them out of Egypt through miracle plague after plague after plague, displaying His majesty, displaying His power to all the nations to see. And the final plague, the final one that broke the rebellious heart of Pharaoh was the plague of the death of the firstborn. But God graciously and mercifully said that anyone, Egyptian or Israelite, anyone who will put faith in God's promised provision, the blood of an unblemished lamb, they will slaughter the unblemished lamb and they will sprinkle that blood over the doorpost and they will take refuge in that house. Anyone who does so will be spared from death. A glorious picture of salvation by God's grace through the promised provision of the blood of the unblemished Lamb of God. And his name is Jesus. So, as they did that, the angel of death passed over. They were spared from death. And then God says, Now get out, get up quickly. And they rushed out of there. Their bread was unleavened, it did not rise. As so they rushed out of Egypt. And that Passover was to be celebrated from then on, a reminder of God's grace, God's provision of salvation, God making them His covenant people. Celebrating the Passover. And so they came out of Egypt and they crossed the Red Sea and they come to the foot of the mountain. And they get God's word, God's instructions through Moses. God says, Lead my people, Moses. Tell them to carefully obey the word of God that I've given. And if they will obey, they will experience the blessings of God as they live in the land. And they will display my glory to the nations. And the nations will see what a glorious God I am and how gracious and merciful I am. And they'll see my wisdom among the people as they live according to my word and they will come streaming in like a river to worship me. And so Moses sends the spies into the promised land and they come back and give the report and they as a generation do not trust God. And they fail to go into the land and as a result of their lack of faith and their disobedience, God said, you will wander in the desert for 40 years and you will forfeit the enjoyment of all those blessings because you will not trust and obey me trusting obedience is the path of enjoying the blessings of God as the people of God. And so they were described all over the scriptures as an obstinate, stiff-necked people with hardened hearts who were whining and complaining. They look at, as soon as they hit a little difficulty in their path, they immediately think, Oh, those days in Egypt were so good. We had pots of meat everywhere. It was so wonderful. They were enslaved and beaten and terribly treated. But God... As they continue to disobey and continue to be obstinate and continue to whine and continue to to defame his name. God provides everything they need every step of the way so that he continues to give them hope. They have no food so he provides manna from heaven. They have no meat. So he provides quail. They have no water, so he provides water from a rock. They find water that's not drinkable and he tells them how to throw a branch and God makes it sweet water. God is pictured as the faithful God who is constantly providing and caring. Even though they have forfeited the bountiful flowing milk and honey and the fruit that was carried out of the promised land that was so a bountiful, even though they were forfeiting that themselves, God was still sustaining their needs and keeping them along the way, but their whole life up to this point has been display has been bringing reproach on the name of God. You see when Egypt saw them delivered out in such a miraculous way, God was making a name for himself he was saying i 'm their god i 'm the God who delivers I am the one who is bringing them across the sea. And when they disobeyed, the Egyptians scorned him because they said, And all you did was lead them into the desert to die. So they brought the reproach of Egypt upon the name of God for their disobedience. And what does God do as his name is being defamed, as they are bringing shame on him? He loves them. In those passages, he reveals himself. I am the God who is patient, who is long-suffering, who is compassionate, who wills that none should perish. I will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, but I love you and I long to see you restored. That's the God we worship. And so they, that disobedient generation died off in the wilderness and they stopped circumcising their males. They stopped obeying the Lord. And so we come to this passage. We see that this day, the next generation has moved across the waters. And they're finally about to enter into the battle of enjoying all the blessings that God had promised their generations before them. And at that moment, as they face the battles before them, they are all tempted just like us to say, we can't do it. We're no different than our fathers. We're no better than them. We're just, everybody in my family, this is just our struggle. I was born this way. I can't help it. I can't do this. They're tempted to let their past failures define their their present situation and cause them to forfeit the future blessings that God has for them. But God is gracious And God brings them to a place of repentance. And he says, today is a new day. Circumcise your men. And from that moment on, you start walking with me in obedience. And that's all you need to worry about. So as they circumcise their men on that day... It says in verse 9, the Lord says, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of the place is called Gilgal to this day. And that name Gilgal is a play on words which means to roll away. So the Lord is saying on this day, and that other name of the ...of the city, which is hard to pronounce, refers to a pile of their sinful flesh. It's a picture of them, God cutting away, very literally, all the sinful flesh of their life. All that history of sin, all that past that has been holding them back. And he's saying, listen, all that has been cut away... And it's been cut away by the blood of the unblemished lamb. And today is a new day. You start fresh today. And you obey me. You circumcise them. The reproach of your sin. The shame has been removed. You don't live under that anymore. And closely associated with repentance is restoration. And we see the restoration in verses 10 through 12. In verse 10 he says, While the sons of Israel camped at Gilgal, the city named where your reproach has been rolled away, while the sons of Israel camped there, they observed the Passover on the evening of the 14th day. Notice the careful attention to the dates. On the evening of the 14th day of the month on the desert plains of Jericho, on the day after the Passover... On that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land. They ate unleavened, unleavened cakes and, par- and, and, parched, and parched grain. Verse 12, the manna ceased on the day after they had eaten some of the produce of the land so that the sons of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate some of the yield of the land of Canaan during that year. So here we see, they are carefully restoring to obedience to the Lord. First, the circumcision, which had to be done before you could participate in the Passover. The Passover, which was a glorious feast of eating unleavened bread. Remind, on the 14th day, that very night, they were to slaughter the unblemished lamb. And they were to, to take the blood to the altar. And it was a reminder of God redeeming them out by the blood of his lamb. And the Passover was a celebration, and it says that that very next day, they ate of the bountiful harvest of God's promised land. And that moment, the manna ceased. God took care of every little need they had until that point. They finally are restored, and they can finally move forward and enjoy the glorious blessings of God. Do you know God that way? Listen, we all got junk in our past. I've got some things in my past that just nauseate me when Satan tries to bring it up. We all have a past. And the Lord says, that doesn't define you. That's not who you are. If you have taken refuge in the blood of Jesus Christ, you've been cleansed. He has rolled that reproach away. He has taken the shame away. He has piled the sins of your past up and he's done away with them. What matters is today that you start doing what the Lord has called you to do and you can once again immediately enjoy the blessings of God. too many times we want to hold on to the past. Some of us hold on to the past pridefully thinking we've done so good. We think we deserve something and God says it's not about you. It's not about what you've done. It's not about what you haven't done. It's about Jesus and what he's done for you. And once you get that, that's that grace, that mercy, the fact that even while you're sinning, he's not holding it against you. That's the gospel. That's the good news of Jesus, that even while you're sinning. But how do you know if you get it? How do you know if you really get the grace of God is what you do with it? You know you get the grace of God when it puts you in an attitude that we see Joshua in next, an attitude of reverence and respect. Verse 13 through 15, we see this incredible scene of the command of the Lord show up in His holiness, and we will look at Joshua's response. When we respond like this, we know we get the grace of God. It says in verse 13, Now it came about when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and he looked. And behold, a man was standing opposite him with a sword drawn in his hand. I don't know the timing because the chronology is kind of crazy in these passages. But imagine all the fighting men are laid out. And this bad dude shows up wielding the sword. And Joshua goes up to him and says... Are you for us or are you for our adversaries? Are you with us or are you against us? This is not good. And he says, no, rather I indeed come now as captain of the host of the Lord's army. (laughs) No, no, you need to step aside. I'm going to lead this. I got this. I'm the captain of the Lord's army, not you. And Joshua, it's a beautiful picture of the response to grace. Joshua fell on his face to the earth and he bowed down and he said to him, what has my Lord to say to his servant? The captain of the Lord's host said to Joshua, remove your sandals from your feet feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. What an awesome scene. With his human eyes, he sees a threat. But God reveals that, no, this is my strength and my power coming to you in your time of need. Many wonder if this is the pre-incarnate Jesus. You know, the scriptures tell us God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God the Son is Jesus. They existed eternally, coexisted as one God, the same essence of God. I can't fully explain it. But the point is, Jesus has always existed. He didn't just show up in Bethlehem. And many think this is Jesus showing up, the one who created the universe. Because the scripture says that Jesus spoke forth the creation. And it says that when he bowed down and worshipped him, nothing condemns him. The figure doesn't say, get up, don't worship me, I'm not God. So it very likely may be this is God in flesh, the pre-incarnate Jesus standing there and saying, I am going to command the people of God. I got this. And we see Joshua's response is the beautiful response that we should all have. Joshua fell on his face. What is my Lord to say to his servant? This is where we all need to be as we face the future. It's not about your past. It's not about you. It's not about how good you are. It's not about what you're going to go do for God. It's about realizing that the past has been forgiven by the blood of Jesus and the future is in God's hands and you have one question to ask. What do you want me to do? That's it. And you know he'll be faithful. That's not in question. The only question is will we be faithful? To just ask that question expectantly. Will we humble ourselves at the feet of Jesus and say you saved me? You've redeemed me. You delivered me from slavery. You've given me a hope. You've never failed me. Here I am again. The only response is to realize I am in holy ground. Fall to your face. Say, God, what would you have me to do? You have purchased me by your blood. In 1 Peter one thirteen, we are told like Israel, to prepare ourselves for the battle ahead. 1 Peter 1.13, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit and fix your eyes, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As those who have been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, our attitude every day is that we have a new start. We are new creatures in Christ. We mustn't let the sins of the past be our excuse from walking forward and enjoying the glorious blessings that God has for us. And we must focus our eyes on the fact that when Jesus Christ comes back, if we're covered by His blood, by His righteousness, that day will be a day of grace. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the coming revelation of Jesus Christ. And then each day we walk in obedience as obedient children. He says in verse 14, Do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourself. Also, in all of your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. For the church to obey this, your family has to obey this. For your family to obey this, your children and each one of you have to obey this. Are we teaching this to our kids? When your kids fail, is your one response anger and punishment and behavior modification? Or do you explain to them the gospel of Jesus Christ is at the root of restoration and repentance? That the blood of Jesus was covered covering you while you were committing that sinful act. And that that should so amaze you and so profoundly impact you that you hit the feet, you you bow your face down on earth at the feet of Jesus and you say, what do you want me to do, Lord? And you know that that is the path into the beautiful promised blessings of God. Parents, are you letting a past sin define you? Are you letting it haunt you? Are you letting it be your reason? Are you letting Satan put that in your face and say you are not worthy to go into the presence of God? Today is a new day. Today is a fresh start. Don't buy that lie anymore. Take shelter in the blood of Jesus Christ. As a church, we must be committed to the gospel of grace. And let it motivate us to live for His glory each and every day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need this reminder all too often. Some of us need to trust the blood of Jesus Christ for the very first time today. If you're here and you've never realized the gospel of grace means that your sins, your past is washed away, it's it's rolled away, the sinful shame has been cut away through the circumcision of your heart by the blood of Jesus Christ, then I I implore you, trust in the blood of Jesus today, and God in His grace will give you credit for His righteousness. He will clothe you in the righteousness of Christ. He will circumcise your heart, the Scripture says. He will cut away the sinful heart that you used to live by, and He will give you a fresh start today. And your one question should be, what, what do you want me to do, Lord? And the rest of us who have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ in the past, and yet we have walked in rebellion and disobedience, may this be our reminder that our past does not define us, and that today is a new day. And it's going to be a battle forward. It'll be a struggle whether we're struggling with addiction to drugs or addictions to the opinion of our friends or addictions to entertainment and pleasure and comfort, whatever our struggle may be, Lord, may we know that the commander of the Lord is with us and he will fight on our behalf. He does not define us by our past failures, but he defines us by the blood of Jesus Christ. He calls us holy, righteous saints, children of God, and may it embolden us and motivate us to take on the battle that lies ahead so that we can walk into the glorious promises that we may get off the manna and the bare necessities of quail and may we get into the rich blessings of walking with Jesus each day Lord do a great work in our hearts this morning revive us to walk with you And we praise you that you are resurrecting us just as you resurrected from the grave and it's in Christ's name we pray